Ma! Ma! Okay. Okay. All right. Hello, and welcome to Yikes. That's amazing. I'm your host, Pearl, and I tell stories that are creepy, crazy, and keep you on the edge of your seat. And I'm your host, Nathan, and I tell stories of positivity, inspiration, and determination. We're best friends. We're roommates, and we're here to tell you some cool stories. So, today is actually going to be uh, all one of my stories. Um, I started looking into this story a little over a week ago, and I just got so excited about it that I literally could not stop writing about it. So, I talked to Pearl. Well, I don't know a thing about it. Yeah, I haven't been able to tell her a single thing, which has been so difficult because I've constantly been going on and on about how, like how much this person has become now like a personal hero of mine, but I haven't been able to tell Pearl an ounce of detail about any of it. So I'm so excited that I can finally uh, let it all out and tell her about this story and you guys as well. So uh, hoping you guys love this story as much as I have enjoyed hearing about it. So uh, Just one thing I want to say before we get into it. Um we just want to thank you, everybody who has listened so far. Yes. We almost have enough listeners to get ads on here, start making ourselves a little money. Exactly. And we so, yeah. And well, I just, uh, yeah, we wanted to say thank you to all of our friends and family who have given us such positive feedback about um, our first episode. It's really just been, like, we've wanted to do this for so long, to so just to get such amazing a response about it is just really uh, yes, it just warms, it warms both of our hearts our cold dead hearts yes exactly it, and it's needed in this cold dreary rainy washington pacific northwest fall indeed yes okay i'm ready for um, your story right so yes i've been very excited about this story it's a, a sort of a different perspective on an insane story that i've uh, watched a movie about and a lot of people already know um, this story is about the life of Deirdre Wallonick. Uh, Deirdre is the mother of Alex Honnold, and if that name sounds familiar, that's because Alex is the man who free soloed El Capitan uh, back oh in shit. yeah yeah back in uh, 2018 in uh, Yosemite National Park. Um, and there's a, a National Geographic documentary about him called Free Solo. Uh, so for those of you who don't know what free soloing is, it's uh, rock climbing by yourself without any safety gear. So, uh, A.K.A. the scariest thing I can possibly think of. Absolutely. I would never. I, I know people that do it. My parents, well, my parents didn't do that. Well, I don't know if they did, but they used to rock climb a lot. And just rock climbing in general, I think it's amazing, but it scares the shit out of me. Yeah, and I've always personally wanted to get into rock climbing, and I have friends that do. I I haven't gotten the chance to quite yet, but now, especially after reading up on this story, I am 20 million times more inspired to start rock climbing, but I would just like to put out there for my mother, if you're listening, <laughs> I will not be free soloing ever. That is horrifying. And put it out there for me, because <laughs> don't do that. I will kill you yeah and so uh, alex honnold's story could be an entire episode in itself and if anybody wants me to cover that story i'm totally willing and able to it's an awesome story as well um but uh, there are some details about his life as i'll talk about deirdre's life um so i got most of my information for this episode from deirdre's autobiography uh called the sharp end of life 
referring to the sharp or the lead of a climbing group who essentially bears all the responsibility for guiding the route and securing the rope for the other climbers. Um, wow. I, I That's a big responsibility. Yes, yes, indeed it is. Um, I originally stumbled upon her story uh, from an article on Good News Network's website, and while I was reading the article, I was not prepared for the story of her life that would unravel in her autobiography. Um, and yeah, I know I've said this to you quite a few times through the last week uh, without giving you any other information, but yeah, new personal hero of mine. So excited to talk about this. Um, <laughs> yeah, every day he's like, I just want to tell you my story. <laughs> <laughs> and now I finally get the chance. Oh, so excited. Um, and listening, I, I rented her the audiobook uh, version of her book, and listening to it gave me such a different and unique outlook on so many aspects of my own life. And so it was just so, so great to listen to over the last week and just great for my mental health. Um, and a large uh, chunk of Deirdre's life was spent outdoors exploring, so I felt that it was even more fitting that a majority of her book I was able to listen to uh, while I hiked by myself up to a mountainous lake in the snow. So that was incredible. Amazing um, experience. Gorgina. 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 Gorgina Tortilla. Um, so in this story, Deirdre overcomes personal obstacles, relationship blockages, and physical ailments that try to keep her down, but she persists through it all and takes charge of her own life side note deirdre is a beautiful name i know yeah i i love that name and yeah deirdre walnick is great name great name all around um so deirdre walnick was born on september 23rd 1951 uh, she grew up in jackson heights queens in new york with her parents and her brother john uh, in her book deirdre talks about the um, that the grown-ups in the house would speak polish uh, what she called the secret language of the grown-ups. Uh, they did this so uh, none of the children uh, could understand them and they could talk about them without their knowledge. Um, this, however... Rude. Uh, right. Rude. Uh, this, however, would fine-tune Deirdre's ears in a way that would carry with her. Um, from a very young age, she was able to eavesdrop on the conversations and over time was able to pick up verbs, action words, and descriptions. And by the age of four or five, she was able to pretty much understand the gist of what was being said in these conversations. So she could understand the, the shit her parents were talking about her, essentially. That um, is so awesome. I love that for her. But yeah, and I've heard a lot that like kids uh, hearing other languages, like if it's if that's the only language that's spoken to them, like one parent will speak one language and one parent will speak the other language, it's really good for um, kids growing up and that'll make it even easier later in life for them to learn even more languages. Right, yeah. And actually, I don't really, I hadn't really written this up in my notes, uh, but with uh, Deirdre's children, um, her and her husband actually do that with each of the children. They um, have two children and one of the, um, her daughter i believe they only spoke fr she only spoke french to each of the children and um uh, her husband would only speak english so wait so are you saying that when she could hear her parents like she could understand what they were saying about her was it like just regular stuff or was it like shitty stuff oh no they were straight up talking shit about oh okay. like that's why i was like oh great yeah, yeah that's okay. why they would good. speak in the other language I mean, not otherwise good, they wouldn't even care right, to right, like, if it right. was just normal okay. stuff talking about the kids but I no it was like, specifically um, so that they could just say bad stuff about the kids just don't have kids 
Yeah. This relates to my story as well. Just fucking don't <laughs> have kids, okay? Just don't have kids. Uh, Deirdre's mother had a bout of polio as a baby, so she was barely able to even get up and walk. Um, this required Deirdre to do the brunt of the household chores starting around the age of four. Um, as the old-fashioned mindset of the family, the chores were left to the girls. Can you remind me, like, what time frame this is again? Uh, Deirdre was born in 1951, okay. so okay. it was it okay. was 1950s New York. All right. Um, and her family was uh, from Poland, so it was kind of like that uh, Middle Eastern mindset um, of, uh, yeah, and, and I guess not just from there. Like, pretty much the mindset around the time was women did the chores, and yeah. not great. Four-year-old girls do the chores, I guess. Yeah. Jesus Christ. No, exactly. And, like, yeah, and her, her mother had polio, so she could, like, it was said, like, her father had to do, like, basically pick up the kids anytime they needed to be picked up for anything because she didn't have the physical strength to even do that. Um, and whether it was the lack of control she had over her own life uh, or if she was just a product of how she was raised, Deirdre's mother was very controlling and both of the parents were quite cold. Um, Deirdre's mother told everyone when to wake up, when to go to sleep, what to wear, and what to eat. So no one in the family really required a mind of their own. That uh, is so sad. Yeah, and uh, Deirdre even recounts a conversation with her father um, that she says uh, is the philosophy that justified her parents' decision-making uh, when she asked him why neither parent considered either of the children's opinions when they made decisions that affected them all. Her father's response was, why would I? You'll never be my equal. I've had many more experience, uh, many more years experience than you. In addition to that comment, her parents often told both children that it's the parents' job to criticize children, to make them better. How else would they learn? Yeah, again, you know, you just, no one's forcing you to have kids. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, and they also said um, that, uh, if I'm remembering this correctly, it was the a parents, uh, or a, a child does not become an adult till their parents die. So That's it is disgusting. the parent's job I, throughout I the that. child's entire life to criticize them and that the yeah, child will not, not be like an adult Yeah, not nurture them and help them grow no, as people. because why would you love your children? Why yeah, would you do that? loving your children is so overrated. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. So, so 19... That's so 1950s. Whatever. So 1950s. Um, Deirdre learned to play the piano from her mother. Um, the language discerning skill she learned as a small child helped her to pick out the musical sounds and learn to play melodies by ear. And this sparked a lifelong love of music, uh, which we'll come back a little bit in a later part of the story. Um, Deirdre's parents had a set plan for her, even as an adult, as I was saying, uh, she's not an adult until they die. So they basically had a set plan for her whole life. Um, at age 25, when her parents retired to her mother's hometown in Pennsylvania, um, she broke the mold from their uh, early 20th century Eastern European mindset and stayed at her job as a high school teacher, now living on her own in New York. This was a first step toward a very long path of individuality. Loving that. Uh, while visiting her aunt and uncle in California around the age of 25, Deirdre met the man she would later marry, Charles Honnold. In her own words, and this sounds, I had to add this, this sounds like it's something that's straight out of a romance novel. 
Charles' powerful shoulders and sheer physical presence <laughs> filled a room in a way that I'd never seen any of the small, Charles. slight European men I dated. Huge, kind, doe eyes and thick black mustache fought a hero-villain battle, but his voice was deep, resonant music. Bass profundo, I called it right from the start. He thought that was silly and called me cute. No one ever had. Right? Stop! Right? I know. I had to add that. I was like, Christ. oh. Wow. Yeah. And, and Deirdre is a writer. So she oh, she yeah, knew clearly. exactly how to like, she knew what she was doing. That. She knew what she was saying. Um, on her trip to California, they had incredible adventures in the Sierras, deserts, and cities. Um, despite Deirdre returning home, uh, the constant letters between the two and Charlie practically bragging about the weather in California while Deirdre froze in the New York winter. Um, in the spring, she got a job teaching in Southern California. Um, and the fact that she knew more than, I think sh- uh, at this point she knew like four or five languages. So she was able to teach many, uh, many languages. So she got multiple offers from school. So she had That's no, no trouble impressive. finding a job uh, over there. Um, so she began living in lodging provided by the school that she eventually picked to teach at um, in the San Gabriel Mountains, which we no, we, we didn't go to the San Gabriels. We went to the uh, San Jacintos. Um, Deirdre was able to spend her days after uh, after a day of teaching, walking the pass around the park like grounds uh, with another teacher that also lived there, uh, playing tennis on one of the grounds courts, picking avocados and oranges off the surrounding trees. It just sounds like an absolute fantasy just amazing california dreaming yeah california dreaming for real um the following summer deirdre and charlie got married and started out on their new life together they spent all their weekends of their first year traveling to some of the most beautiful natural wonders california has to offer and charlie's knowledge of it was incredibly intriguing to deirdre who was experiencing all of this for the first time um, not only that, but Charlie was a world traveler, as was Deirdre, so they um, had much to talk about with all of their adventures of exploration, which this took up most, if not all, of their conversations. This, unfortunately, was not the only thing needed to build a solid foundation for marriage. Yeah. Um, as would become increasingly apparent once they moved across the world to Japan to both become professors tink- teaching English as a second language, Charlie was incredibly pessimistic, pe- pessimistic about anyone doing things other than the way he would do them himself. Um, many comments... Lame! Yeah, it, 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 it was not a good time for them uh, in Japan. I've people like that, and... Uh it's not. Stop. It's just such a unhealthy thing to surround yourself with, w- w- just somebody that just cannot see anything outside of their own world they've made in their own head. Um, so it, yeah, it, it was not not a great time for them going over there. And um, they when they went over there, um, they both started taking Japanese classes, which Charlie soon after starting just stopped going to them and anytime somebody would ask them like how his uh how his japanese learning would going he would just pat deirdre on the shoulder and say she can do the talking for me which in japan at the time was not 
easy because it w- the man had to speak for the family and uh, he had to sign all the That's documents, anything that had to do with like taxes, living, anything like that. The man had to be in charge of that over there. So her being the only one that spoke more fluently Japanese was really difficult for them. And he just basically refused to learn and refused to put himself into the culture that they were a part of. Why even move there? Exactly. And and the yeah, he fuck, made Charlie? so many comments about the Japanese culture, even architecture and just the overall goings on around them while they lived there. Um, Deirdre understood that Charlie like came from a, a place in California with better weather, wide open spaces where he grew up knowing the language. So most of his pessim- pessimistic behaviors uh, she attributed to living in an uncomfortable and unfamiliar environment, which I understand. But she yeah. she was doing the same thing, too. She wasn't from Japan. She hadn't grown up in the culture, but she was taking it on and he was not even trying. Though it was hard, she tried not to let it paint her experience of Japan in a negative light. Um, A positive that Deirdre can always look back on from their time in Japan is the birth of their daughter, Stacia. Um, As was in Japanese tradition at the time, she was fired from her job for literally just having a baby. Awesome. Super cool. Um, So she was fired from her job at the college, which left her home taking care of the newborn, living off only the salary of Charlie. Um, but Deirdre talks fondly about the early days uh, she had um, with uh, Stacia, um, and it was equally rewarding and terrifying being a new mother with no previous experience for caring for children. She says she doesn't even remember a time of like holding a child or providing child care, so this was absolutely Dang brand new to her in an unfamiliar country. And by that point, I so think they had So what you're telling me there. is she's a bad bitch? Oh yeah, she is a bad bitch for sure. Um, and I think they had been there probably, I think it was, they said around two years or so by the time that uh, Stacia was born. So it was a little bit more of a familiar environment to be in, but absolutely brand new territory raising a child. Um, and so it, she wanted to make sure that she um, was also not being the same kind of parent to her children that her parents were to her. Um, so she, yeah, she wanted to be very involved in her child's life, very loving and hands-on. Um, the increased time spent at home gave Deirdre time to write and sell her first article and then continue to sell to newspapers and journals in several different countries. Um, all was going well. Uh, the family focused on outdoor adventure at the opportuni- uh, at any opportunity they could to avoid being trapped in Charlie's negativity in all things he didn't understand. Um, so yeah, they uh, which, so they got to experience some really cool things while they were there. They That's got to good. get out into nature, see the cherry blossoms, and yeah, a bunch of different things. So there there are things that she can look back at in their time there that wasn't just Charlie negative. painting everything in a negative light. Then the news came of their second child on the way, and they had to make a decision to move back to the States because their apartment was just not big enough. They were like, basically, we would have to... It it was between getting rid of, like, the very few pieces of furniture they had to put a baby cot in there, or they'd just have to go home because they they couldn't afford a bigger place over there just on one salary. Um, so, um, shortly after their arrival back in the States, their son, Alex, was born, Mr. Free Solo himself. 
Uh, within the first 12 hours after his birth, it was evident that Alex was not going to be like most. Uh, Deirdre recalls uh, through the postpartum fog that she was in um, after having him the two comments that were most commonly made by people uh, who came to visit uh, shortly after he was born. The first being, wow, what big hands he has. <laughs> <laughs> and the second being, how is he pulling himself upright like that? Are you helping him? Literally. Wow, that's crazy. Hours after his birth, he was grabbing onto his mother's hand and pulling himself up his baby to stand. Swole. Right? Hours after his birth. And it, it, like it would only be for like a couple seconds, very shaky, fall back down, but a newborn being able it's to It's the power pull from up. his mom's coochie. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Coochie power right there. Um, so yeah, it was pretty evident from the get go that he was destined to be a rock climber. Um, so that's uh, really cool, actually. Right? I know. I'm like, I wish I had a story like that. That like I was doing some crazy stuff when I was a baby, being able to. Yeah, like, it's like that kid who walked the whole Pacific Crest Trail. Yeah, I Wait, was, was four Pacific years Crest old. I, I well, there was actually I think it was by nine years old or something. There was actually a kid who had done the main three in the United States, wi- which is the Pacific Crest Trail, uh, the Appalachian Trail, and the Central Divide. I, I think I'm saying that one wrong. It, it, Impressive, uh, but yeah, either three way. absolutely incredible trails. As somebody who has done just like a little over 100-some miles on the Pacific Crest Trail, which is over 2,000 miles, doing three of those by nine years old, it, yeah. Oh, my God. I could not imagine. Although, <laughs> Jesus Christ, when I was nine, I remember having literally endless energy True. and I could just hike all day long and True. And fine. your body recovers like Ugh. that, like nothing else. Rip. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, Rip the energy on. I had as a nine-year-old. Um, so, as could be expected, Alex was a handful as a child and continued to push himself to greater heights, literally, from day one. His mom talks about, like, that... Uh, they became notorious at uh, the parks in their area because when they would show up, uh, a bunch of the families would literally just go for like snack time or be like, oh, it's time to go home because he would just like climb on top of the swing set or like anywhere you a, a child should not be climbing from a very young age and all the parents were like how could you possibly let your child do that and that's such a bad influence for the rest of the kids and and she she wasn't being a reckless parent she always was sure being sure that he was being safe and like there there were times that she would be like okay no like don't do that right uh, but like he but she from was letting a, him do his thing exactly and from a very young age he was learning how to better himself in climbing in that way and, and probably learning how to make good judgment calls and stuff like that exactly just from so like her risk her factors. letting him do those sorts of thing uh, as a parent when he was young really set up such a great base for him becoming the rock climber that he is today um, and then always he had his older sister uh, with whom he has a very good relationship uh, to keep a watchful eye on him from a distance as the older and more responsible child. Um, while the children grew up, Deirdre and Charlie grew apart. Um, Charlie was non-responsive, not involved in most everything in the house. Uh, he would spend most of his days reading, either just laying in the middle of the living room floor in everyone's way or in his armchair. 
and regardless of where he planted himself with his nose in a book, there was no getting any answers from him, no matter how important the subject. And Deirdre talks about like if she would try and push on something like, hey, are you are you picking the kids up today? Like, I need to know if I need to pick them up. Are you planning on picking them up? She would ask again and again. And like she and she would literally ask in like no response. It wasn't just like a like a half hearted or angry response. It was just nothing. And she would have to be like, hey, I need to know this. Like, and these are your literal children. Yeah. And he, then, it, like, if she pushed too hard, he would just snap and get angry. What the fuck? This was not particularly something new in their relationship. Deirdre talks about times um, when they lived with Charlie's parents in Sacramento uh, before and after having children, um, how he was non-responsive and short-tempered with his parents as well. However, no one seemed to have a problem with it or make any mention of it. He, his parents would do the same thing, ask him questions. He wouldn't respond or it would be a really like snap, aggressive response. And they just didn't, didn't make any mention of it, didn't seem to have an issue with it. It was just never made a problem. That's bizarre, but okay. Yeah, and Deirdre tried her best with Charlie, uh, doing what she could to keep her temper even when most of us would have gone out absolutely ballistic um i I myself would not have been able to handle that um his lack of care and awareness put the children in danger more than once and uh and this fact left deirdre unable to imagine divorcing him because that meant she would uh have to leave the children alone with him sometimes and that scared her way more i always think about that with situations like this yeah no. I would not want to do that either. Well, exactly. You don't want to leave your children for days on end in the care of somebody like that's non-responsive and clearly doesn't give a shit. Yeah, and there she talks about one time that um she uh, she was like recovering from a, a sickness or something, so she had to go to bed early. But Stacia was out at uh, a party with some friends, and she told Charlie like, "Hey, Stacia's." out she's gonna call when she needs to be picked up so would you make sure that you're like listening for the phone so when she needs to be picked up you can go and get her and uh she woke up the next morning with multiple messages left on the answering machine that was stacia being like hey where are you guys like hey i'm ready to be picked up like the, my friends are going to this other person's house. I don't really want to go with them. Would you be able to pick me up? And then another Damn, message that's Charlie. like, I, I guess I'm going with them and I'll just spend the night there. And like, could like somebody respond, please? And she got it, like when she heard all those messages the next day, she talked to Charlie about it. And he just seemed absolutely not phased and couldn't really understand why it was such a big deal that he hadn't responded. Um, so um, one more one specific moment Deirdre talks about in her book that absolutely broke my heart um, is uh, and this is where I was talking about that her lifelong love of music comes back into play um, is that she got the chance she had been waiting for for so long to conduct an orchestra in Sacramento uh, she was so thrilled about it, and she went to tell Charlie because this meant he'd have to schedule more childcare for her increased time uh, away while she was practicing with the orchestra. When she told him, including that this was a lifelong dream of hers, his response was, aren't you already doing enough? And then he walked away. Die. Yeah. Just die. I oh. 
God, Rig. that just I I was listening to that and that just absolutely tore my heart to pieces. A lifelong dream of hers, and he wasn't even like, "Congrats!" Like just a one-word happy response. It was just, "Aren't you already doing enough? Like, don't you already have enough on your plate?" And it's like, "Yeah, maybe," but this is a lifelong dream of mine. So that is so weird. And it's not even like, "Hey, what can I do to?" Lighten, lighten your, your load. load. Yeah, it's exactly. Like, like, what can I do to okay. help you achieve this lifelong dream of yours? Just, yeah. So, um, it wasn't until the kids were both adults and moved out and starting lives of their own that Deirdre finally came to the conclusion that it was time for a divorce. Uh, by this point, the majority of Charlie and her communication was just over email. Um, they still lived in the same house, but all of their communication was over email. Uh, so this is how she approached the subject, and that is how they o- went about their divorce proceedings. All right. I mean, whatever yeah, they works. Didn't, they didn't talk about it in just person. get it done. They, all of the... And they didn't even... Uh, like, lawyers were too expensive, so they just went about doing all of their proceedings themselves, figuring it all out, and uh, just, just over email. And Charlie didn't even understand what was wrong with their marriage, but it was evident by this point. Um, yeah, to fucking right. Uh, so this is where Deirdre kind of goes in to explain why she thinks Charlie acts the way that he had been. So she believes that he probably um, had some form of autism or Asperger's. Okay. Um, and because she talks about that um, when Alex and Stacia were younger, there was a friend of theirs uh, or, or a friend of um, Deirdre's who had a son that had autism and it he acted in the same exact way that Charlie would. It would be like non-response to any questions. A lot of, uh, if he was trying to get the attention of his mother, it was very exasperated. Uh, uh, but other than that, there it was just uh, not super involved in the rest of the goings-on. So... Um, well, now I feel bad for being so harsh against no, Charlie. I know, I know, and but I do too. I just it, it's really hard, but I it didn't it have the context. But okay, that makes sense. Yes, given the context, I, it, I know it was really like hard for me listening to that. It would be more apparent earlier on, but I guess not without but, the children. Well, also sense. like the. Uh, the time that they were like that Deirdre and Charlie were raised in was like the 1950s. There wasn't as many right, studies that's about very it. True. And so uh, she talks about that. She's like, I doubt that uh, like Charlie's parents would have ever considered getting him tested for anything like that because there just wasn't as much testing available for things like that. Right. So, yeah, I, I felt sure really bad for all of the thoughts that I had about Charlie the whole time I was listening to this. Once it got to that point, I was like, OK, like that's Sorry, still Charlie. absolutely horrible that Deirdre had to go through all of yeah. that. But that it it's is sad either way, more understandable what his mental state was given that. So. Um, despite all that Deirdre went through with Charlie, she doesn't actually, in her book, speak an ill word of him. She airs her frustrations and how he dealt with things and the equal partnership that their marriage lacked, but she doesn't speak about him with malice and even highlights the better points of their marriage and what a fun dad he was for the kids. Um, eventually they divorced and she received a lot of support from station Alex who had obviously been front row center for the show of their parents marriage but Deirdre was finally free so get it good girly for her. good for her good for you good for you 
Um, however, this did not immediately free Deirdre from the burden of being Charlie's caretaker. She would have one last major life event before she was able to separate herself from being Mrs. Honnold. Um, only a couple of months after their divorce in 2004, Deirdre re uh, received a call from the Phoenix airport telling her that her husband had a heart attack and had passed away. Oh, wow. Yeah. So two months post-divorce and oh, um, God. she was That's now in charge of taking care of all of the items of his estate and picking up the ashes from the airport. Um, she knew he That's wouldn't want to. such interesting timing. Yeah. Two months after, because she, she talks about when she got the call, she was like, oh boy, am I going to have to like constantly be still referred to as Mrs. Honnold and have to pick up Charlie's messes and like, did he, was he, right. did he miss a flight or like what's going on? Like, am she I still going to have to do her own thing? Exactly. She's like two months divorced and I'm still having to clean up his messes. Um, but this, this, this was the one last final piece that. Um, which which is very sad to say because obviously like the children lost their father and she lost somebody that she spent a lot of years with and did have some fond memories from from earlier times in their marriage, um, and so um, she knew she he, he wouldn't want a funeral uh, because the people in his family just didn't do funerals so that was one less thing off of her plate to have to take care of. Uh, soon after Charlie's passing, Deirdre's father died, um, as well as her father-in-law, who she was closer to than her own husband. Um, so that was kind of one thing after another. Wow. Very hard, like right after the divorce. Um, so this was a very hard time for her, uh, being a full teacher, having multiple family members pass, and now being in charge of the restoration and sale of three properties left to her between Charlie and her father, all of which were out of state. So she's talking about like while she's teaching full time, she's on the phone with contractors and plumbers and all of the like. And like w w one of the estates that she got from Charlie was the uh, lake house that they had that he had literally not gone to, non not taken care of, and like nature was taking it over. So she was in charge of over the phone taking care of the restoration of all of these properties while teaching Wowzers. full time um, and after the loss of her father and her father-in-law, who s she said was they, they played music together and they enjoyed time together. And so that was incredibly difficult for her, but she powered through and, and she got it all done. Um, and uh, so as all of this was going on, Alex had been gaining a lot of traction in magazines and newspapers for his expert climbing and free soloing on dif difficult terrain. Uh, anytime Deirdre would see one of the magazines or newspaper articles, uh, she would buy a few copies for her, her mother, and Stacia, um, but rarely had time to really like look into the finer details and understand exactly what type of climbing he was doing. Um, Alex would stop by the house every now and again to restock before taking off on in his van on another grand adventure. And Deirdre would do her best to make sense of the complicated climbing terminology acts, uh, acts. Alex would uh, use to explain what it was that he was doing, but much of it just went right over her head as a non-climber, as it would for most of us. Going, yeah, reading I'm, through this I'm book sure. and her, like using a lot of climbing terminology. I, I had to look a lot of it up myself. I'm like, I have no idea what that means. Like, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Mm, okay. Um, eventually, things began to slow down somewhat for Deirdre, and she was now in her early 50s. Um, 
She had a little more free time here and there, and after finishing the remodels and selling multiple of the properties that she had gotten, um, she started um, taking her dog on walks, and which then eventually turned into jogs, which then eventually turned into runs. Uh, one day she came back from a run, making it an entire mile, and she was so proud of her new accomplishment. Uh, she talks about that um, like her mother and father were very heavy smokers, and she was basically a poster child for secondhand smoke. So a lot of physical activity was very difficult for her because she would just lose breath immediately. So making it an entire mile was a huge feat for her. So that, like, good for you. That is awesome. Good for Good for you. So she, um, when she got back from that run, um, she saw that Alex was back for a little bit from his latest adventure. Uh, She told him about her one mile achievement and he responded, well, if you can run a mile, you can do a mile and a half. And that's exactly what she did the next day. Uh, Coming home, she let Alex know she did it. And he responded, well... If you can do a mile and a half, you can do two miles. And she did that, too. Um, so this became a new hobby for her, and it was very exciting. Um, and she was finally doing something for herself that wasn't involving work or caring for others. And like for the first time in her life, pretty much, because she grew up being told exactly what... Oh, my goodness. Okay, sorry. Uh, Pearl is pointing out her adorable cat uh, that is climbing up and just being the he's just perched at the top of my ch- computer chair just being the sweetest just boy as per sweet usual oh man he's probably going to start and then he's going to get into something over and, and ruining my plants hoagie get down from there Anyway, the show. So yeah, he's got to steal the show at least once. La- when we were recording our last episode, him and my cat were both all over, uh, just like curling up with us and just being so cute. It was so hard to not get distracted, but obviously we're distracted now. The show must go the on. The show must go on. The show must go on. Um, so, yeah, so she obviously had not done basically a single thing for herself in her life because she grew up with her parents telling her exactly what to do, then pretty much going immediately into a marriage where she was basically married to a child that she had to take care of, then having children, raising children, being in a loveless marriage, and so now she was For so many years, For so too, many years. Wow. Decades and decades. So, it, like, she's finally able to do something for herself, and she's so excited about this uh, new hobby in her life. Um, and the her love of running was even more perfect because um, it was an activity she could participate in with her daughter, Stacia, who was an avid runner who was running marathons and the like, and also a long-distance bicyclist. Um, so it was, yeah, it was good for her to be able to kind of connect with her daughter on that, and she would go. Her daughter was now living in Portland, um, and Deirdre lived in Sacramento, so she would go visit her occasionally, and she wasn't able to quite keep up with the pace that Stacia was, but it was just fun for her to be able to feel like she was a part of that uh, like running community. Um, so the first marathon that Deirdre participated in, uh, she began at the last six miles. Uh, this was a marathon that Stacia was running, and Deirdre was just happy to be a part of it. Six miles at this point was still an incredible feat for De- uh, for Deirdre. Oh um, yeah, yeah, six miles. I mean, running six miles is running a mile in general. Yeah, I I mean, I mean running. I go hiking <laughs> all the time. I'm a very hi- avid hiker and backpacker, but running is something else. Running like 
Yeah, runners. I respect runners. Because I respect that runners so much. No, yeah, that. I mean, it's so hard on your body and like your lungs specifically. And like she, was, I was talking about, like she grew up in a house where she was just constantly around secondhand smoke. So yeah, building up your lungs for that. Yeah, capacity I was gonna say running, hard on your lungs, but then I'm sure benefiting your lungs oh, yeah. in the long run. Exactly. Um, so yeah, so Deirdre did the last six miles of the twenty six mile uh, marathon. Um, and um, she did it like a champ. And this would also not be the last marathon she took part in. Uh, so Deirdre began training and by fifty five she ran her first Full marathon, 26, I believe 26.6 miles is a full marathon. Um, so, yeah, from... Wait, how old was she? 55. She was 55 years old running her first marathon. That's around the age of my parents. Um, and wow. I, I was talking to them a little bit about this story when I last saw them. I was like, I don't want to give you too many details because I'm going to do a whole story about it. But I'm reading about somebody that's your age running full marathons, so don't be thinking you can't do stuff. <laughs> your parents are like, calm down. <laughs> yeah, but my dad goes hiking with me, and he, they, both of them actually have been, I'm super proud of my parents. Both of them, for the first time in a long time, have been like really taking charge of their physical health and have gotten some uh, equipment at home to be able to do so and my dad gets out with me and hikes and actually just this last summer him and my brother went on their first backpacking trip ever with me and we completed a 24 mile trip that was uh, about 6,000 feet of elevation gain in 11 miles out to the end or, or no 12 miles out to the end so I'm super proud of where my parents are at in uh, where they've come in their physical abilities so um, yeah. So by shout uh, out to Nathan's parents. Right? Shout out, woo woo, love you guys. Um, so yeah, she ran her first full marathon by fifty-five. Not only did she do that, she went to run three more full marathons after that. The last of which she had a cast on because she broke her arm two weeks prior. But she was like, I'm not wasting all the time that I have spent training for this thing. I am Aww. still doing it, cast or not. So, yeah, two weeks after breaking an arm, she was still running marathons. Um, so she continued running for a long time, but running, like I was talking about, running is very hard on the body, and she had uh, quite a few improperly healed injuries, um, and running was just increasingly difficult for her. Um, but running marathons was not the last of Deirdre's uh, impressive physical achievements. Uh, when Deirdre was 58, while Alex was taking some time to recover from tendonitis, um, Deirdre asked him to take her to the indoor climbing gym where he trained, though he himself, uh, though, uh, though she had watched uh, him rock climb and knew this was such an important part of his life, she had never herself actually gotten onto the wall to see what all the fuss was about. Um, though Alex couldn't uh, climb himself that day, he was able to belay for her. Uh, to belay for uh, someone means that you're the person in charge of the safety rope uh, for the person that's climbing to ensure that they don't fall and have a grisly accident. So still an important position, but he couldn't get up on the wall and climb with her. Um, though this was... Um, Though this was a new experience for Deidre, she took to it in that first session and ended up doing 12 routes on the wall while she was there. Whereas in a normal day, you might do like 
five to eight and even for like more experienced climbers um so she began to really understand what all the hype was about for her son and why uh, he loved climbing so and i mean i could uh, i have not done any even indoor I rock mean, climbing in even so long i have done in indoor rock climbing a couple times when i was much younger but I had a fucking blast. Oh yeah, I was it's like, this so is much the best fun. Thing ever. Yeah, it's awesome. So I have. I would have a lot harder of a time doing it now. I would need to train, but yeah. And so, so and fun. by this point, she was in her late fifties. So for her to go and do twelve routes on the first day that she was even trying out indoor rock climbing that's incredible that's awesome um so deirdre began to frequent the climbing gym closest to her house multiple times a week gaining new friends and beginning to feel increasingly welcome in the climbing community and less like an older newbie she still continued running to kind of keep keep her physical stamina up for climbing but running kind of took a little bit more of a backseat at that point but she had already accomplished so much in running doing four marathons like come on um, come on, forget about come it. Come on, forget about it. Um, so Deirdre hadn't had many adult friends for a good portion of her life up to this point. Um, she had spent so many years either keeping people at arm's length uh, to put on a show of a healthy marriage and not wanting others to peek through the cracks that had been forming for so long. Other than that, she was busy raising children, teaching full time. And I already talked about all the things that took up so much of her time after Charlie's passing. Um, so she really didn't have a whole lot of time for friends. So she was gaining another new hobby post-divorce. This was a huge turning point in Deirdre's life. She had friends. She had hobbies. She was happy. Um, indoor climbing turned to outdoor climbing when her friends at the gym uh, felt she was ready to get out onto some real rock. Um, as you could imagine, for someone getting into uh, the hobby of rock climbing nearing the age of 60, this was terrifying for her. Um, I mean, yeah. terrifying for anybody getting into the uh, the hobby of rock climbing, going from feeling so safe with the an indoor climbing gym and like rubber floors and like just not going to real rock and real consequences is terrifying so and obviously getting into this sport nearing the age of 60 that that would be very no scary. small feat no small feat um they started her out easy and built up from there um she was a very diligent learner and did her best to absorb all the information from the experienced climbers around her um, and, uh, yeah, as you could imagine, being the oldest and least experienced can be incredibly discouraging. Uh, Deirdre continued to push herself, though, and was able to accomplish more and more uh, learning from every mistake and getting increasingly better with each climb. Uh, even though this became a favorite hobby of uh, a favorite hobby of her own, um, and it did bring her closer to Alex, it also made her more aware of the dangers that Alex faced in the types of climbings he did. Yeah, uh, now she's probably like, boy. Yeah. So where she went from like reading know. about the stuff and him talking about climbing terminology, and she's like, whoop, over my head, don't really know what that is. Now she's like experiencing it for herself and she's like, this is amazing, but also this is so dangerous. And this boy does this without ropes like this boy and like not just the things she's doing without ropes. This boy's doing like crazy, He's doing crazy the things. most. He's doing the most. He's l quite literally doing the most. 
Um, I feel like I used that exact and phrase we love him in our for last it. episode. I think you did. Yeah. I can't remember what it was I love that though. phrase. Quite literally doing the Oh, most. you were saying Dashroth was doing the absolute most. The absolute most. most. Yes. In the best way. And he was. He was. And so was Still. Alex. Yeah, so was Alex. I think that's the and theme of right your stories. And right now, so is Deirdre. Deirdre's killing it. Yeah, killing the is. game. Yeah. Um, Get it. Get it. Get it. Um, so obviously she always wanted Alex to be safe, um, as any good mother would, but she knew that any distaste for the dangerous kind of climbing Alex chose to participate in would just push him away. Um, she yeah, or just make him be like, I'm going to do it even harder now. Well, yeah, exactly. Whenever your mom is like, I don't want you to do that, you're like, like... Michael Scott. I'm going to sc- start dating her even, even harder. harder. Yeah, you're like, I, I want to do that because I've been specifically told not Sorry, to. mommy. That sign can't stop me because I can't read. <laughs> <laughs> so she she talks about it in um, the Alex's documentary, Free Solo, that she wishes he wouldn't free solo. Um, she would never say that to him, fearing it would alienate him, and she would never want to tell him to stop doing something she could tell made him feel more than anything else. So she chose to cherish every what moment she spent with him. Exactly, right? It, like very sweet. And that that and I actually I when I was listening to this book, I texted my parents a huge long thing and I was like, Hey, I'm listening to this book. I think both of you should listen to it as well. You guys having a son that <laughs> enjoys uh dangerous sorts of outdoor activities i'm constantly backpacking and hiking by myself and very eating yourselves up a mountain myself up many many mountains so i was like this uh like just the perspective that she has on how to deal with having a child who does stuff like that and wanting to be there for them it, like she just has such a great perspective on it so I, I texted my parents and I was like you should really listen to this book um, like not only for that fact just it is such an inspiring story um, but I was like t- uh, you guys having a son that does kind of stuff like that I think this would be a good read for you um, so she chose to cherish every moment and she was that she was able to spend with him and be a cheerleader for him in all of his accomplishments um, but the story continues on. This hobby of hers turned into more of a lifestyle for her, similar to the way it had Alex, um, as Deirdre retired from teaching full-time. Uh, getting into her 60s, Deirdre had started a list of the most beautiful and challenging climbs in her area, most of them being in Yosemite, uh, only three and a half hours away from her, um, all of which she planned to climb. Uh, she didn't want to call it a bucket list. That just sounds super morbid. Uh, her goal was to do all these climbs before she got to her 70th birthday, um, which I love that. It's like, I don't, I, I hate the term bucket list. Yeah, and just like, I'm going to do this before I die. It's like, okay, so you're just constantly thinking about when you're going to die. I mean, I guess and, and like there's a point s- to that. For some like, people, that can be good. Live life on the edge, and I kind of think that same thing. Like, I obviously have a lot of anxiety about certain things but like can relate you know you gotta you gotta do you gotta live yeah, you, you gotta, gotta get live. up there you gotta do some things you gotta get it you gotta get it um so the list of the climbs that she had included snake dyke mathis crest cathedral peak and royal arches amongst a few others um her willpower was incredible and she successfully completed all of them before the age of 70 and uh, like I'll probably post some pictures of some of these as well as um, some pictures of later parts of the story um, on our Instagram um, after this episode is up. But these places are gorgeous. Gorgina! 
Oh my gosh. But also you can tell in the pictures, like these aren't just little climbs. Like these are intense climbs. Um, some of them were referred to as 5-7 routes or 5-10 routes. Uh, that refers to the difficulty scale. Um, I was reading up on the difficulty scale of climbs, and usually like 5-1 to 5-7 is considered easier. So 5-7 is like the higher of the easier routes, but anything like 5-8 um, to I believe 5-10 is intermediate, and 5-11 to 5-15 and like I would like anybody to like email us correct me if I am wrong I went over this pretty briefly but the, those one the uh, 511 to 515 are um, basically reserved for fewer crazier people um, and there's there's a lot more little technicalities that go into the um, definition of how difficult the routes are like 510R and 510C. Oh, wow. Like there, there's. Uh, I was looking into this for actually quite a while and still have such a brief understanding of, of the. Um, That's the thing about research. I go on so many rabbit holes of just one little tiny detail that I don't even end up actually putting in the story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, it was. It's such a more minute part to the like, story, oh, but it was so interesting. Well, and I, I I'm going to continue to research it after, and I really want to get into rock climbing, so it's an important thing to know anyway. Um, but yeah, so so she was doing some real difficult things, um, and this was not without any hardship. Uh, her, Like I was talking about earlier, her improperly healed injuries from childhood and otherwise still plagued Deirdre with pain in physical activities. One injury in particular made it impossible to move multiple of her toes, making gripping with one of her feet while climbing literally impossible, um, which, like, for climbers like that, you need to be able to grip with your toes. So if you're not able to, like, but you're still doing these incredible things, like, you, you're you a badass. You, you are killing the game. Um, so, damn. yeah, she, she was killing it left and right. Um, so, but she persisted and she checked item after item off of her list. Uh, one climb that was not on her original list that came into her mind as she checked off so many other difficult climbs was El Capitan. She brought this up to Alex, uh, she brought up the idea to Alex asking him if he thought that she could do it. Um, and as his answer was, uh, whenever she asked him if he thought that she could do something, he responded, Sure. Uh, but he did add that she would need to learn new terminology and techniques required to summit El Cap. Um, the most important being jugging. Uh, jugging, to put it in more simple terms, and again, this is similar to me researching the um, difficulty levels of the climbs. Um, so in the terms that I'm able to understand it in, in the way that she describes it in her book, um, is a way for a climber to pull themselves up on their rope with jumars, which are metal handles with teeth that grip the rope that you slide upwards. They attach to your harness and uh, your feet, and you push them up, stand up, uh, uh, stand up, right side, then left side, laddering your way up the rope. So you're basically just like pulling I'm yourself up out. the rope. <laughs> and so um, it was very, it's incredibly tricky to master and requires a lot of strength. But 
Deirdre began training to jug, as was Alex's condition before taking her up LCAP. Um, so she spent from February 2017 till just after her 66th birthday in September learning to jug and learning the other skills and terminology needed uh, for the summit of LCAP. This dream became a reality in October of 2017. Uh, her, uh, Alex, and uh, a friend of Alex's set off to ascend the 3,200-foot sheer granite wall via the route named Lurking Fear. A How fitting. Yeah. And also, speaking of lurking fear, we are having quite the storm outside right now. Yeah. No, we uh, we live in northwest Washington, and we are having the craziest winds of the season, and uh, it's raining, and there's flooding everywhere, so... Um, Thoughts and prayers out to everyone who is experiencing flooding. Yeah, it's probably going to be a little bit of a roughy yeah. uh, this winter. Anyway. Uh, anyway. Back to, <laughs> back to happier things. Back to happier things. So here I am, so always to drag it back down to reality. <laughs> that's what you're here <laughs> for. You're the yikes. I'm the that's amazing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, back to lurking fear. Um, and, yeah, an aptly named route for the terrifying climb. Um, it took all the strength and willpower she had. But Deirdre made it up, over, and down the other side of El Cap, marking her as the oldest woman to have ever completed that climb. Oh my god. She just continues to amaze. She, time after time. So that that is just incredible. I, yeah. Like, so you're... Like that Lady Gaga quote. Incredible, show-stopping. Inspiring, I mean, you amazing. Know, you know the one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we all know the one. Yeah, that... That perfectly describes Deirdre. Um, so to add a, a even more impressive detail to this, most people complete the summit of El Cap in about like four days or so. So if you've ever seen those pictures of those people with those weird tents hanging off the side of cliff faces. Oh, I've seen them. Yeah, terrifying. So that they'll make it up the wall in about four days or so. Some people do less. Um, but they did this climb all in the span of 19 hours. They did it in a day. I literally do not understand. So not only is she the oldest woman to have completed this climb, she did it in a day. Honestly, after researching my story, this is truly bringing my spirits up. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad. That is oh, what I'm here for. Oh, there are great people in the world. There are such amazing people in this world. And it, like I was talking about earlier, like... And now that we're getting into fall and winter and the cold and the dreary and most of my uh, hobbies being outdoor activities, like everybody gets into the seasonal depression. Um, and this story was just so good for my mental health to listen to um, because she has just such a unique outlook on life coming from all of the hard experiences that she had to go through so i i was so blessed to be able to have found this book and this story at this time in my life because i i needed to hear this and it, it was just so good um so yeah so Hell yeah Deirdre talks about a lot in her book about the way uh, she perceives people's opinions on how she climbs. And she uh, time and time again diminishes her own accomplishments in her head because she might not be as fast or uh, have as good as technique of others. 
But shut up. Yeah, I'm like, but it's <laughs> hard for any person to diminish that accomplishment, regardless of age. Getting up, over, and down El Cap in a day for anyone is an incredible accomplishment. So I don't care how good your technique is, how how fast or slow you think you are. You His did family's it. family's got star quality. Oh, oh, they got star quality up the wazoo. Yeah, they, they can get it. Um, so the last thing that Deirdre says in her book is, each time I've summited with Alex, I've said, I'll never top this. I have to learn to stop thinking that. It's never been true. This time... It might be, though. This time, it might be. Until the next one. Well, she was right. That trip took place on October 31st, 2017, shortly after Deirdre turned 66. But on September 23rd of 2021, so this was just like a oh month God. and a half ago. This story comes into the very recent times. Um, so yeah, less than two months ago, Deirdre Walnick beat her own record of oldest woman to summit El Cap. On her 70th birthday, Deirdre returned to El Capitan again with, or not with Alex, but with a lot of friends, um, and once again summited the grueling uh, grueling granite slab. What an incredible way to mark seven decades on this planet by proving that you are the most badass person out there. Literally, when you just spend the last 10 years being the baddest bitch ever. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so she got to celebrate her 70th birthday with champagne and a birthday party camping trip at the top of El Capitan. Deirdre writes in her personal blog... screaming and crying and throwing up and shitting. This is amazing. It's amazing. And Deirdre writes in her personal blog, which people should go and read because you should read her book, you should read her blog. She is an an incredible writer, an incredible person, and so inspirational. Uh, But uh, in the summit of El Cap uh, at 70, she writes on her personal blog, I'm not down yet. Not sure I ever will be completely. <laughs> and I don't blame I'm her. I'm actually shedding a few tears right now. This is so... So this is why I've spent the last week just almost exploding with this story that I've been wanting to tell you uh! so bad. So I I got it out. Incredible. Show-stopping. Never before seen. Yeah. That is the story of Deirdre Wallenick. And how she came to twice be the oldest woman to summit El Capitan. I don't even know what to say. Yeah. I'm so impressed. Yeah. Um, and, and amazed. Yeah, you should listen to the audiobook uh, because, uh, yeah, like I said, I needed that book in my life right now that gave me such a good perspective on just how to overcome things in your life and look at things in a different way and just realize that no matter how much you think you're not able to do something you really just have to push yourself and you're always able to achieve more than your brain thinks believe achieve believe if you wish to achieve all righty guys well, right. well thank that's you the Nathan, story for an excellent story yeah um 
thank you guys in advance for listening to this yeah. and for listening to the next one that we're about to record. Yes. That so is not going to have you feeling so happy as you do right now. Yeah. So we got a whole episode of Pearls coming up. And um, um, also, if you want to email us at what's the yikes, that's amazing podcast at gmail.com. Um, so if you want to suggest any stories that you've heard of, if you want to write a little story that happened to you, something good, something scary. Yeah, we're looking for forward to doing some listener stories if anybody has anything that they want us to talk about um yeah or just uh again like we were talking about last week suggestions uh criticisms don't be too harsh again we will cry but we do want to hear you hey mail right back yes oh yeah oh yeah and it will be doubly as harsh (laughs) as whatever you say to us we can be mean um but i'll let pearl write it she's got the yikes in her yeah so, yeah, well, thank you so much for listening to this story, and I hope that this gave you just as much inspiration as it's given me. Um, and, and I hope you look, you're looking forward to, to being absolutely demolished in the next story and having your heart ripped to shreds. And I, again, I have no idea what this next story that Pearl's got to tell is. So, gonna be I will up. be right along with you guys and getting my heart beaten (laughs) um so yeah looking forward to it all right we'll see you later thanks for listening have a good one